Listeners, welcome back to season two of what was formerly on the side podcast, now the business of wellness. I'm your host and registered dietitian, Jacqueline London. And today I have a phenomenal guest. We are getting into such a timely topic. I cannot wait to share this conversation with you. My guest today is Lauren Harris Pincus. She is a nutrition communication specialist, author, speaker, spokesperson, corporate consultant, and registered dietitian in private practice. And she is specializing in diabetes, prediabetes, and weight management. And we are talking about all things Ozempic, Wagovi, all of the weight loss medications that are currently flooding the market that we're seeing all over the news. Uh, We are seeing it in celebrity gossip items everywhere. Of course, it's hugely popular on TikTok and there are so many repercussions of that. So we're going to get into all of it, the good, the bad, the ugly, the fascinating, and there's just so much great stuff in this episode. I can't wait for you to hear it. So on that note, let's get to our interview, this conversation with Lauren Harris Pincus. You can find her on Instagram at Lauren Pincus RD. And of course, you can find me at Jacqueline London RD on Instagram and Twitter and Jacqueline London on TikTok. Okay. Yes, she's here, Lauren. Welcome. She's so adorable. She's got her beautiful cereal boxes in the background, which make me so happy. I just love them so much. They're really lifting my spirits today. Tell, tell us, tell us about you. Where are you right now? What are you doing? What it? What was? Did you have cereal for breakfast this morning? Just out of curiosity. Um, <laughs> I had overnight oats for breakfast this morning. So you did. So technically cereal. But I very, very often do like a fiber one concoction. So that's my other go-to. What's in it? What's in the concoction? Tell so, us. by the way, Alyssa thank you for is, having me on the what podcast. If, what so if this was to be here with you. <laughs> so excited. Um, no, so, I'm so excited I, you, know, here. you know my protein at breakfast thing. So everything has to have at, you know, 20 grams of protein. At least. And I love cereal and cereal doesn't have a lot of protein. So like I have to hack it. So, um, I basically take a cup of some sort of plant-based milk. I add three tablespoons of protein powder into it, usually chocolate, and mix that together. And then I pour it over um, like a bowl of fiber one with chia seeds and whatever fruit and like a little bit of nuts. So it hits like 20 grams. I love a chia seed as a texture. You know, I feel like it just adds a little extra something. Now, I... I hate to bring us too far off track because we have a lot of ground to cover today, but can we talk about, let's start by talking about one of my favorite and least favorite uh, trends of, of past, of the summer, which was the internal shower. Oh, I just heard the word. <laughs> love that reaction so much. Come on. I love it so much. What, why, why were we doing that? And I don't know. Idea? I wasn't doing it. I mean, seriously. <laughs> Seriously, I just, I sort of feel like you would have a lot of success with alternatively taking a stick of dynamite, swallowing it and trying to blow up your intestine. Like, I'm like that can, would you, achieve... can we just eat fiber rich food? Can we, can we can just, we just kinda, and, and, and water? Right. And call it and a day. drink water. Yeah. We remind, oh my God. I mean, Lauren, I literally never sit know, like... in this chair without water and I, I'm noticing I'm upset. Okay. Well, that's okay because hopefully I'm going to shut up soon so that we can talk. We can let you talk and hear from you. So, okay. Let's talk about you. Let's talk about your area of expertise, which is diabetes, prediabetes, and weight loss. Am I, am I correct 
in yeah. that assessment. Okay. Tell yes, us about, about where you started and, and how your career has evolved. And then, then also tell us about how it's evolved during COVID. All right. Very long story short. <laughs> like, tell us your <laughs> life story. What's very your long astro- story astrological story, sign? Yeah. Um, that you can probably find lengthier versions in other interviews, but, um, I grew up with overweight and obesity. I was, you know, the big kid in preschool before kindergarten. This was very genetic. Um, I was the only heavier one in my house. You know, there are other family members that, you know, had overweight and obesity. Um, so we, we all ate the same thing and I was the big girl. It just, mm. that's the way it was. Um, did the whole diet route my whole childhood at the urging of my pediatrician, mm. Weight Watchers at seven or eight um, to weight loss fat camps um, in the eighties, sleep away. That's a whole nother conversation. Um, Man, is that another conversation? But, um, you know, fast forward every diet in the world, swim fast, every, you know, deal a meal, lean line, Weight Watchers, like anything. And then um, we're talking in the seventies and eighties. So there wasn't a whole lot available really. Um, And then uh, when I was a senior in high school, I went on this ridiculously low calorie, 800 calorie diet. It was one of those supervised ones. So it wasn't like mom being, you know, you should eat this. So it was, it was monitored, um, but just very restrictive. But I was a senior in high school and I was done. Like I said, I am taking control of my life. I am going to college. I'm going to start over. I need Mm -hmm. to, you know, I want to be able to exercise and be comfortable and wear normal clothes and not go to the bigger store at that time you know there was one store where you could go to that was you know that had larger sizes over a 14 or whatever which now would equate to probably a 10 because the sizes are so much you know bigger than they used to be um and and it worked and I lost like 50 pounds and I you know went to college to become an RD to not only help me live a more healthy life and learn how to turn those little disordered things into healthful habits, um, but to be able to inspire and help other people that I truly empathize with along their journey. So um, I was at Penn State, got a nutrition degree there, came to um, what's now New York Presbyterian. It was uh, the New York Hospital Cornell yes. Medical Center for my right. um, my internship. And um, went right to work at NYU Medical Center uh, Clinical and uh, got my master's while I was there. So, um, and about three years of that, and I was, my husband said, we're out of New York City. Like we're, yeah, we got (laughs) married and he said, I don't want to live here anymore. (laughs) Okay. Um, So I moved out to New Jersey and I started a private practice and I've been doing that since 1997. So 25 years. Um, Amazing. Yeah. And really um, I specialize I don't like to say weight loss. I like to say weight management because my goal isn't necessarily to have somebody lose weight. That's really not, that's a a main point I like to make for all the haters who think weight loss is bad. My goal isn't to move the scale necessarily. There's many, many, many factors. It's for managing weight and health and finding that spot where, um, where your body's happy in, in all directions. Um, So that's what I like to say. But, but the thing is that over the years, you know, most of the people who came to me for weight management also had high blood sugar, high cholesterol, you know, and all of the other metabolic diseases that surround having overweight and obesity. Um, So just by happenstance, you know, you end up specializing in that cluster of metabolic 
yes. disorders that accompany weight. You know, 75% of our population has overweight or obesity, yes. you know, three out of four people. Right. So it's a huge issue um, for health reasons. Um, you know, people think of it as an issue for appearance reasons. I think of it as an issue for health reasons. Yes. Um, I even know myself, look, I have been a normal weight my whole adult life. Um, but I also know that as soon as I start gaining weight, my blood sugar goes up. You know, right. we, I have family history of things. I am a normal BMI that a doctor would look just at my weight and look at me physically and go, oh, you're awesome. Mm -hmm. But I have, you know, metabolic things from having grown up with overweight and obesity and other, other things mm -hmm. that, you know, you can't judge a person by what they look like. And you have to figure out the best thing for each person. You can't possibly use BMI as your only indicator. And it's a pretty lousy indicator we've yeah. we figured out, but it's one of the only things we have as a cursory right. measure without putting somebody in a DEXA scan to really test their, their body fat percentage and stuff. So, um, you know, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother thing. No, um, but I, I love that you make that point. I've got to say, I love that you make that point because it's so true. If we're not judging people from from the outside then, and we're trying to gather all of the information that it would take to evaluate a, a person's health risks or health or how, or their current state of health, just as a clinical picture, then you actually just need a number of different inputs and not no single one of those things is going to be the be all end all. And frankly, anyone who tells you that one thing is the be all end all is, is not is not getting yeah. all of the information. It's only one part of the story, but you do need all of them in order to make a, a an assessment, right? I mean, that it, it feels a little bit like we'll hear things like it's a very sound, but like in our current world where sound bites are everything, yeah. it's like you'll hear people say things like BMI is bullshit. Well, yeah, okay, but it can be helpful as a part of. It's just Correct. not. It's just, we can't just completely write it off, but it's one. Correct. It's one indicator. Toolbox. Right. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, I've cut you off, please. Yeah, that's okay. No, no, it's totally <laughs> true. We, they always give the example like that Arnold Schwarzenegger in the day when he was that super right. bodybuilder, his BMI would have come out as having obesity when clearly he right. had no body fat. And right. it's just because of his weight in muscle versus his height would have come out high. But right. that's, that's just a perfect example of why it doesn't work. The main example I give to people is if you take somebody who has a lot of weight in their hips and thighs, but has a narrow, a very narrow waist, which makes them at lower metabolic risk for those right. other types of diseases Great versus point. a person who's the same height and weight, but has really skinny like legs and tush mm -hmm. and has a, has a big belly. They're at a much higher risk for metabolic diseases and complications, even though they weigh the same and are the same height as the other person. So that's Great just point. the perfect example yeah. of why it's, it's one indicator. It's not it's not a total diagnostic criteria. Right. Yes. So you mentioned something that is, I think, important for us to just give a little bit more context to before we get into our full discussion on, on diabetes management and prediabetes management, and perhaps the ways in which we're managing diabetes that is not there, but we'll get, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. I want to talk about what you said about, um, noticing in yourself that given your history, that sometimes it, that if you, if you were to say, start feeling like you're gaining weight or to notice that, that you're simply, that there's, there's something changing about your current weight status, that it will affect other cardiometabolic risk factors. 
risk factors, cardiometabolic indicators of anything, right? So your blood sugar being one of them. Say a little bit more about that. Tell us more about what that, what that means and, and what the process is, even if it's just a snapshot. I feel like that's very, that's such a helpful piece of the conversation that we don't talk about enough. It is. And it's so important for people to go to their doctor, get their physicals, get their blood work when they feel fine, when there's nothing wrong with us, because you discover things that you didn't know were going on when you're healthy. And then you have time to do something about it before it progresses to a point where now it's kind of an emergency. And I say that because there's so much stigma around weight. There's so much bias around weight. Mm. And people automatically assume, like we were just saying, that when you have overweight or obesity, and I say have, as opposed to are overweight or obese, because Mm -hmm. it's something you have, it's a medical issue. Mm -hmm. It's not a personal attribute. Yes. So you aren't obese, you have obesity. The same way you aren't, you know, you aren't high cholesterol, you have high cholesterol, you know, you Mm -hmm. aren't diabetes, you have diabetes. So it's, it's something you have. It isn't something that you are. And when you start using the language that's more first person mm-hmm. language, instead of describing somebody that sounds like an insult, um, yes. it's, it's just a much more compassionate and patient centric way to communicate. Okay. Oh, I love so, that. I love that you said that. Thank you. Yeah, oh, which is really, yes. really important because now that I think that way, and now when I see studies that are written using the language, the other way, it kind of, I, I kind of jerk a little bit. Yes. I don't, I don't like reading it that way. Um, and it's understandable, you know, when you have people who are, let's say who have a normal weight, right? They can have elevated blood sugar. They can have elevated blood pressure. They can have all sorts of things. We used to call it skinny fat. Yes. I, I really remember that. Yeah. So that somebody can be lean appearing, but let's say their body fat percentage is higher because maybe they don't exercise or they don't, you know, they don't eat healthy food, but they just don't happen to gain weight. Mm-hmm. Um, those people can have those metabolic issues. They can have high cholesterol, high blood sugar, high blood pressure. And you look at them from the outside and you go, oh, they look great. Right. Right. So it doesn't, it doesn't mean much unless you're evaluated. I care about the internal number far more than I care yes. about the external number on the scale. The scale is a measure of your relationship with gravity it doesn't yes. tell you much more than that overall until you have the other factors. That's why you can have somebody, it's not as common, yeah. but you can have somebody who has who has significant obesity and their internal metabolic numbers look great. It's not right. as common, but it's very possible. But it's totally possible, yeah. It's totally possible. And if that person, that person also could eat very healthy and could exercise and they are just genetically in a larger body. Mm-hmm. And they're doing what they need to do to just to take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. That's great. Right. You know, that's all I ever ask for anybody. I don't care what the scale says. If you're doing everything you can do to take care of yourself and love yourself in a way that will allow you to live the healthiest, fullest life with less disease, less pain, less arthritis, less right. whatever, um, right. you know, more mobility, all the things that we want to add life to our years instead of just years to years. our life. Yeah. And I, that's the thing that I just feel is so missing in the weight management conversation. 
Yes. Is that it's the people who think you should never talk about the scale or you should never mention weight or you should never mention calories. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> I know. I feel like you're just, it's, it's to me, that conversation is the same as having people cut out entire food groups. Yes. When you're being extreme about anything and not looking at the total picture, uh, you're missing opportunity is yeah. just basically the way that I feel about it. And you have to talk to each yeah. person and see what makes them tick, meet them where they are and figure out what's the best way to go. Yeah. Yes. I mean, <laughs> it's crazy to think about how much, uh, first of all, I just have to say again, because you that's so brilliantly stated what you just said about um, having overweight or having obesity mm-hmm. versus um versus you are, because I think we have taken on this new world of identity, everything, and that everything is about identity. And yet actually not everything has to be about identity, especially when it comes to things that can and, and maybe will change Mm -hmm. throughout your life. So why not speak about things as with the transients that they deserve, like something like having, like we we're it's almost like we're accepting by saying that we are something, we are we are over accepting for things that that don't necessarily we can say yes and to, right? Like it can be that we're accepting it and also we're taking steps to feel better because it's exactly what you said. It's the scale is a is an indicator of your relationship with gravity. It's the most brilliant thing, Lauren. It's so true. It's I not, didn't make it up. I heard it so like years Listen, ago. I'm gonna give you credit for it. Where, I'm giving you credit but, for it. <laughs> but I definitely didn't make it. I just have no idea where I heard it. It was a long, long time ago. I've listen, she's getting credit for it, folks. That's it. Okay. <laughs> um but it but it's so well said. It's so true because it it can be a relationship of of how you see yourself through over time like it's it can feel like one moment in time is the most essential thing but we are also as practitioners trained to think about what where do you want to be a few years from now how do you want to feel like what are the things that you enjoy doing in your life so that we can help you actually do them and do them the way that you really want to do them right I mean we can't do everything in a silo or alone we need help and and that's really what I think our scope of practice is really here to here to help do more yeah. of. And I think it's so important even before we get into the the, yeah. the main topic of conversation with um you know with with the drugs that we're going to talk about today. I think it's so important to really hone in on the fact that there's so much stigma and bias associated with obesity mm-hmm. like we started mm-hmm. to say and that that a lot of health professionals also sort of put it on the patient like it's their fault it's their choices they should just eat less and move more mm-hmm. you know you go so and there's so much of that in medicine yes um from many different health professionals you know you go in because your knee hurts and the doctor says oh well you just need to lose weight and meanwhile you have a torn meniscus there's so right. much judgment there's so much stigma that only 10% of people with obesity seek care because they don't want to be told just got the just go keto yeah or just don't eat white things right or just don't eat carbs (laughs) they don't want to be told that and they don't want to be scolded so they just don't even go to the doctor and then what happens is then the self-blame comes in and this whole negative spiral cycle so they don't get the medical care they need not only for the obesity but for the other medical things that potentially are are happening from it there's a reason that 96 million people have prediabetes and 80% don't know it 
that 76 million Americans are walking around with prediabetes right. and don't know it. They're not going to the doctor. Right. You know, so that's the I other have the again. That's such an important statistic. Most people, 80%, 80% of people are walking around with prediabetes and don't know it. 80% of the people with it. Yeah. So 80% of the yes. 96 million. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which is kind of insane. That's about 38% of the adult population that has prediabetes in our country. That's a lot That's of people. really, really terrifying. I mean, it's yeah. why it's terrifying. I, I just think, and then we'll get into the meat of this, of this chat, but yeah. why I think that's particularly terrifying is that we just came out of a two-year period where we heard the phrase repeated over and over and over again, pre-existing conditions, mm -hmm. right? People with pre-existing yeah. conditions are at a higher risk of complications at, from COVID-19. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> If you don't know that you have right. a pre-existing condition, yeah. we, have a, we have a very big problem, right? Because that's where exactly. that's where it becomes the real concern is that if you're not aware, you can't take any action or you can't even know that you're at risk for for needing to take greater caution or or any of that. So it really right. it's like a jarring thought to think that we're we're walking around sometimes not knowing and a huge part of that has to do with the this sort of in the room white lab coat conversation mm -hmm. with a practitioner i've got to just to add this yeah. little this little nugget of of personal <laughs> story to this which i just think is something that probably a lot more people can relate to than i've i've ever had the opportunity to share which is that i you know i've worked clinically worked clinically for years i loved it so much i I loved my little white lab coat because it was like walking around with, with something with perpetual pockets. You never had to worry. You had a place for your phone. You had a place for a calculator. You had a pen. Like there were, I had about four pens in one pocket at some point. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it was a great thing. When I go to the doctor today, I have normal blood pressure. Yeah. <laughs> I see that coat come into a room. It is like, and I'm like, don't tell me, don't, don't check it yet. Yeah. Don't check it yet because I have to calm down. Like there's just something about, and I, and I even psych myself up about yeah. it going to the doctor because, because then I know what's happened before. Right. So then you have yeah. that problem, right? Where and there's no a term for that. It's, yeah. There's a term for it. It's the no white coat blood pressure. No one's judging me except for the one time that someone said to me, wow, that's like stroke level. And I was like that. <laughs> That's a horrible thing to say because now oh I, that was years ago. I can't forget it. Do you know what I mean? Like, because you so never now forget I get on the subway and somewhere it's like, if I'm taking the subway uptown to go to, to go to my doctor, it's like, you can guarantee that I'll hit like a certain stop and then it'll start. I can, it's I can like, feel it. I can get, it starts with yeah. a little headache and then I'm like, great, I'm having a stroke. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's just perpetuates. Language like, no. matters, but that is a yes. perfect example of how language matters. And one little off the cuff yes. comment to somebody can change the entire way they feel about seeking right. medical care. And, and, and I'm going to harp on it again, like when it comes to obesity. Yeah. So overeating doesn't cause obesity, right? Obesity is cause causes overeating. It's a dysregulation of yes. energy intake and energy metabolism. It's a regulatory dysfunction from your brain to your gut. Okay. Now, yes. sure. Yes. We have a whole thing about over 50% of our diets from highly processed food and, mm -hmm. you know, portion control and all, all sorts of things. But 
obesity is 70% heritable. Like up to 70% of whether or not somebody's going to get obesity has to do with your genetics. Mm. And yes, there is personal responsibility here, of course. And yes, you have to make good lifestyle choices and, and things. But there's so many factors that influence whether or not somebody develops obesity. Like I said, I was like four years old right. when I was already getting heavy. This was not because I was raiding the cookie cabinet in the middle. Right. That I, you know, <laughs> it's like things are. Right genetic and you know in normal physiology your um fat cells basically they react with leptin so leptin is the hormone that tells you you're full mm. right so in when you have a you know normal metabolic function you eat your fat cells get full the leptin tells you that you're full you're good but with obesity there's a dysregulation so your leptin is telling you that your fat cells are empty and they need more food. Right. And that's basically what happens. And it's this whole loop where it makes you hungrier. It makes you want to eat more and because your body's telling you to. So it is so hard for people to manage this. Yeah. And that's why we get into the situation of this whole bias and stigma because people go, oh, just eat less. And you go, well, thanks. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thanks so much it. for that, that really helps. advice. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's why these drugs are, can be an unbelievable help to people who have tried everything. I've had so many patients over the years who eat very, very little yeah. and, and have a, a really high BMI and they're not lying. Right. You know, they're not. And then what happens when this person goes into their doctor and yeah. says, no, honestly, like I track my intake. I really don't eat that much. And granted, we're not so good at doing that. And, yeah. and yes. yes, it's not yes, super accurate. Humans. And yeah, yeah, people tend to eat more than they think, but not triple. But not triple is right. I know. It, I mean, I think when you're really committed to something and you're you're in a session with you, and and you've decided like I'm here, I'm present, I'm working on it, I'm paying for a service, like I'm making this happen for myself, and you and nothing is working. Right. There's there's the what, and it's more what to now? it than calories right. and calories out, and more to it than right. than just eat less and move more, and that's where something like like semaglutide and these meds can mm. be so helpful, but you need the right care team, and yes. you need the right approach because they're not a miracle. They're a tool. Oh, oh, okay. I can't help it. I just, sometimes yeah. I just scream on this podcast and I just can't help it, but that is so perfect. Okay. Yeah. Let's back up for a second. Tell us yeah. what, tell us about the mechanism of action just to geek. Oh, I'm dropping things just to geek out in full science nerd capacity. Let's right. talk about what is, what is a GLP one receptor antagonists, what do they do? And and what are these medications that we're seeing now? Let's just okay. start with the basics. So GLP-1 is glucagon-like peptide. Okay. Yes. And that is um, a hormone that's produced to in the intestines to respond to food intake. Right. And that helps to control appetite and cravings and blood sugar and intestinal movement and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And basically that's how the GLP-1 antagonists work is that they help the body to produce more insulin um, only when it's needed and to reduce the amount of glucose being produced by the liver when it's not needed. 
mm-hmm. you know, and they help to control cravings and appetite and those, those other things that when your energy dysregulation is in full force, you need help with right. in order to actually be able to eat less and right. to be able to start taking control of your lifestyle choices. Um, the thing that's really important to understand is that this, the one, but there's two medications that, that yeah. have this semaglutide, right? So one okay. is called Ozempic, one is called Wagovi. Mm. The Ozempic is a diabetes medication. Yeah. And at the doses that it's given for diabetes, the it's titrated up to like one milligram, yeah. I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. For the well, dose. The, for right, the weekly it's dose. The point two, it's like people start at the point. 0.25, yes, something like it's yeah. titrated mm-hmm. up. Okay. So the, the, the effective dose is like one milligram. Okay. Yep. We'll go the, for, that's now, and Ozempic is not approved for treatment for obesity. This is yes, a diabetes which drug. Is okay. Really interesting. And even though it's the same active ingredient, so the, the studies that they did that came out on Wagovi is also same active ingredient that's semaglutide. Mm-hmm. The, the dose, the target dose is 2.4. Wow. Okay. So it's almost two and a half times the Ozempic right. dose wow. for obesity management and, and weight management. Okay. okay. Because obviously the people that are taking Ozempic for diabetes, they weren't dropping a ludicrous amount of weight. They, right. they were losing some weight. And I guess they figured out like, oh, these people were controlling their blood sugar, but they're losing weight too. What happens if we give people more? Right. So then they right. do, you know, then they do <laughs> the, the study specifically not on people with diabetes, people that either had obesity mm-hmm. or had overweight over, I think it was over 27 BMI with um, a, co- a, pre, a, a comorbidity, you know, whether right. it was prediabetes or um, some sort of um, cardiovascular disease, high cholesterol, whatever. And those are the people that they studied, like almost 2000 people. Right. And at the end of the day, it was, there was so much excitement about this med because I don't think that they've seen this kind of weight loss happen Mm -hmm. in a sustained manner before with any other drug, which is why everybody's so excited but they're excited because it can help the 75% of America that has overweight and obesity with all of these metabolic diseases, diabetes, prediabetes, cardiovascular disease, not to help Hollywood starlets (laughs) who have none of these things (laughs) to fit into a size two dress. Like that is not the point. Yes. Um, And unfortunately that's where things kind of go off the rails. but this yes. drug, you know, we talk about what we look for. What we look mm-hmm. for in overall health is to say, if somebody has overweight or obesity, we target a 5 to 10% weight loss yes. as the ideal to significantly improve those metabolic numbers that we talk about, blood sugar, blood pressure, lipids, yes, those things, right? That you don't have to lose a ton of weight if you have a higher BMI in order to see a positive clinical outcome. Right. And that's the the important thing. It's so important that 10%. Yes. Yeah. It's so important. And the average weight loss in the 68 week trial Mm. with the semaglutide at at that higher dose at the Wagovi dose, the Mm 2.4 was um, almost 15%. Wow. And a third of the participants lost upwards 
or more than 20% of their body weight over that 68 week period, which rivals bariatric surgery in outcome. So you can imagine if this drug for the right person under the right circumstances with the right care team and the right intervention can lose that amount of weight to improve their metabolic conditions without having surgery, that's and that's huge, right? That is a huge win, right? For that's for a huge all win of us, for humanity. And, <laughs> you know, yeah. obviously, we need it to be accessible. We need it to be more affordable. We need people to not be afraid to go to the doctor and ask for it. We need a whole lot of things to happen, and we need right. full care teams from a patient-centered approach to help people navigate and utilize this type of medication because it's not just again, it's not magic. It's right. a tool. You don't just throw it at the person and be like, "Have at it." Good for you. Exactly. You know, they need to understand there's the study involved lifestyle changes. It was not just the medication. And that's what people cannot miss. This is the the whole ballgame. This is it. This the is whole the ball crux game. of the whole discussion, right? This isn't like Dexatrim in the 80s and 90s where they'd be like, <laughs> I just don't want to be hungry. So I'm going to take none of that's available anymore. You can imagine the harm that did. But, right. you know, a diet pill to make right. you not hungry, that's not the point. It's how are we going to use that tool that's making us not super craving, super hungry to allow us to implement those healthy dietary changes that we can use for a lifetime that will make us overall healthier people with less disease risk and better outcomes and more vibrant lives. And that's what we're looking for. So it's really, and I'm so excited about this med for that reason. Yeah. But Right. <laughs> the whole point of our conversation is that's not what's happening right now. You know, this so this is what I really wanted to to talk about is this this next component of it, right? Which is first of all, I think we gotta address something that you made extremely clear and so well said about your point about what it, it's glucagon like peptide, right? So we're talking about a GI hormone. Mm-hmm. We're talking about and you explained so perfectly well the what's happening in metabolic tissue when when you are dis- dysregulated, when there's there's a, some sort of dysregulation happening that's making it impossible for you to actually feel satisfied from the food that you're eating, right? So we're talking right. about something's dysregulated. You take a medication to regulate something that is happening in your body. That makes that makes it. I think that sets the stage really clearly for what the why it's a tool and not fen fen. Right. <laughs> Not right. the, the, like, this is for the purpose of weight loss. And it also gives a little bit of clarity as to why it is, it originally started to be studied as a diabetes medication and not, and has not earned the FDA approval for weight loss necessarily. Right. When as particularly Ozempic, right. right. It, it kind of puts all of that in, in greater context. The other side of this is something that we started our conversation talking about, which is what the experience is like of going to physician of Mm -hmm. any type in our current 2022 world. Most of the time, physicians are overwhelmed and they don't have a lot of time. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the time they are trained in a way that they don't have nutrition. They don't have any medical nutrition therapy as a part of, it's literally a few (laughs) hours, if that, right. Lauren's taking a little baby, like tiny, tiny baby sign. Yeah. (laughs) much nutrition counseling is actually available. And then on top of that, it it's more that I, my biggest concern with this is 
is that I see so much potential for how much good this could do. And on the other side, I think we're already working uh, uphill. Like it's almost like it's already an uphill battle because we're already saying that that so often you might go to a doctor who's like with the bias and the stigma that's like, oh, your knee hurts? Go go lose some weight when actually this person could very well have a full-on torn meniscus. Totally possible, right? And that's where I start to go, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, like, because I think then we're asking for a level of change on the part of the practitioner that we have to date. We got a really long road ahead. And I'm worried about how that's translating to patients so that they can get the actual information they would need to use this as a tool and not as the, the cure-all. What do you think? There's a lot to unpack there yes. for sure. Um, <laughs> number one is the lack of, of physician training in obesity in general. Yes. And when 75% of our yes. population has overweight obesity, isn't that a little bit relevant? Right. Like, you, like when you say, so there, they have at most like 20 hours of nutrition training in all of medical school. So there's a reason why RDs have a profession. Thank you, like, Lauren. That's our yes. expertise. Yes. I don't expect a doctor to no, understand everything expect- about nutrition. I I don't. They shouldn't. Exactly. Baseline, exactly. sure. But know where your limits are and refer out to a specialist. It's what they do for other medical specialties that they're not, you know, a you cardiologist know, isn't in. treating a knee. Yes, exactly. No. So they know when to refer out. The difference is, again, with the bias and stigma, they feel like just tell somebody they eat less and go along your right. way or just don't eat carbs or, you know, back in our day, right. don't eat butter. You know, you right. see a cardiologist would just say, well, don't eat butter. Oh you know, God. if you have high cholesterol, just the, the right. dumbest things that, that aren't helpful. They're not oh. helpful. You know, whether or not they're accurate or true is a whole nother thing. They're just not helpful. Right. And when you have people who one, either don't have good access to medical care, right. two, don't have good insurance, three, even good insurance, um, sort of fights to cover these kind of medications because they're very yeah. expensive. Right. And now we don't even have access because there's such a supply shortage, right. given the fact that it's being used off label by all of these people, either with power or influence or money, who yeah. are getting people to write it for them off label in Hollywood celebrities, high power people who don't have diabetes, who don't have or obesity and they're yeah. using it like to lose a few pounds because it's trendy you know as we hear in Hollywood um it's just it's so harmful because we, you know I've heard of people who let's say are on Ozempic for diabetes and can't get it yes you know so now we're taking it away from people who fundamentally need critically it. need it right. much less even the weight loss component right. um it's it's just really frustrating and disheartening. I literally had it happen last week where um, I had a patient whose doctor wanted to prescribe it for them, but they couldn't get the the dose that they needed. Um, it wasn't available. Oh so they have to wait until, you know, whatever, so that they like can next month. I mean, like, that's what I don't understand is that I don't know. I don't know. I feel like that's the scary. That's a, that's another scary part of it, which is that I, I worry that is something I mean, I and I worry about this in general, because I feel like we have seen the pandemic has shown us 
the the degree to which shortages of medications, of mm -hmm. um, toilet paper, <laughs> of, fun, <laughs> of things that yeah. we just never thought were going to run out. Like we baby formula, it, right? the worst baby of all, formula. Right? Oh my God, the most egregious of all. Yeah. And you see this and you're ju you just think like, is this the third world? Like what, what time am I living in? Right? Like it feels a little bit dystopian, but at the same time, it really speaks to something else that I think that you, you touched on in a different way when you were talking about the, the language that we use. And I, I feel like I've gone back and forth on this a lot over the course of my career, even because I used to find myself in the position of being like, let's just not talk about calories. Right. Like I'm just saying like, you know what, just forget that word, mm -hmm. like forget it exists. And then now I'm like, it's the only thing I really, I'd like you to consider a little bit more because when you can't have any word or language or use of the, of using, of being able to articulate what you mean when you really want to say energy, like the actual energy that somebody might need, you really need that word. <laughs> you, therefore you really need to be able to, to, to have a, to have a vocabulary that supports yeah. you in that. But anyway, but the point is that I think it, it is, it's really interesting to think about how, you know, we hear online on, in doctor's offices everywhere, we hear stigma, we hear sort of like two sides of a story, stigma and bias versus um, body acceptance at all costs at mm -hmm. every cost, right? Like only body acceptance, only do not, don't celebrate your fatness, whatever. Like there, there's a lot of that message out there. And I think we are losing everything else that happens in the met, the very messy middle, which is that some people, like you said at the beginning may very well be in a great, very wonderful state of health at a higher weight, but but it's not necessarily the most common thing. So we have to right. be looking at everything in order to talk about this better. And, and I, what, where this, well, let me land this plane here, but where it brings me is that you said, you said about the, um, about how, like in the, in the context of thinking about how this runs out, about how the medications are running out. I think about something that was certainly my experience at, um, at good housekeeping, which was that the top ranking search terms at the time that I was there. And I can only imagine it's gotta be a similar story now are things that are like 1200 calorie diet, because we're seeing people search. They, people want information and solutions and they're going with the thing that they think might be the, the story that gives them that information, right. Or that the article, and therefore they're searching using the term. It's not that it's not that we are constantly running around telling people to lose weight. It's that people are searching for this information on their own. And so we, we kind you of just made are, my point. Yes. That's because 75% of people yes. with overweight and obesity in our country. <laughs> and there's so much stigma from doctors and healthcare professionals that they don't ask. Yes. So they're left to their own devices. Right. To be, you know, searching for the latest fad or the latest pill or the latest yeah. supplement, you know, peddled by, you know, who, who just right. lost an election. And, um, <laughs> you know, they, it's just, it's so frustrating as a health professional to see people suffer needlessly. Yes. Um, both emotionally and physically for when they don't have to. And that's really yes. the, the, the most frustrating thing. And I think, you know, when we're talking about these meds, it is a significant decision between you and your healthcare provider to decide if you're going to use 
one of these medications. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's, this is such a wonderful asset to people who've tried everything. People who really have tried everything. They've made their lifestyle changes. They've, they, they exercise regularly. They just can't get their metabolic numbers where they need to. This is a a wonderful tool for them. Really, really wonderful. And you know, they're, this is not something you take in and ditch. Right. You know, this isn't a two month thing where you lose a lot of weight fast and you go, oh, I'm done with it because guess what's going to happen? You're going to gain all that weight right back. Because when you remove the thing that's controlling that dysregulation, right. it's going to come right back. It didn't get fixed. Right. It, it just got covered. Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. so obesity medications are really meant to be taken long term. Yeah. So these people who are taking it off label and just trying to, you know, somebody has a wedding or somebody has a whatever, they're going to gain the weight back when they go off of it. Because I, I would venture to guess that these are people who've done this type of thing over and over and over again, where they like starve in order to drop X number of pounds for some event or some occasion. And then it comes back and then they do it again. So, you know, I think we just, we've got two camps here. We've got the diet culture camp. Right. And we've got the medical. Yes. And the diet culture camp cluster is like using (laughs) the medication right now. Right. And and the people who talk about all of this appearance related weight, that's the diet culture camp. Right. And they're the ones who are getting the attention and they're the ones who are drawing the ire of, of the haze people. But in the middle, like you said, are the people who really just need some medical help. Right. And, right. you know, and they sort of either don't know how to get it or are afraid to get it, aren't willing yeah. to get it, don't have access to it. Um, you know, it's just, yeah. it's, it's kind of like a muddy problem. And I'm hoping that as more and more attention comes to this societal issue of all of these metabolic diseases that really can be reversed or managed or prevented with healthy lifestyle interventions. Mm that we will all kind of get more on the same page and destigmatize weight and say, how do we just help people be healthier? I don't really care what you weigh, but how do we manage the situation so that you don't develop all of this unpleasantness um, that comes along with it oftentimes? You know, you said something before that I want you to say again, because it's something we don't talk about enough just general just generally speaking which is that there is sometimes actually a real benefit of celebrities doing something perhaps for the wrong reasons and I wonder if you can share that with yeah we were chatting about that because here's the thing I'm not thrilled that so that the reason (laughs) that these meds are in the news is because Hollywood celebrities and high power people are using them off label right but I'm hoping that the happy side effect of that is that people who need it are now aware that it exists, whereas they maybe wouldn't be aware that it exists because they're not going to their doctor for obesity care. Um, And even then, you know, there's a very, very minute amount of people who are certified in obesity medicine. Right. You know, as a specialty, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny faction of doctors, you know, and a lot of doctors they're not, they weren't even using the available obesity medications um, on the market anyway, before this right. one, there's been plenty along the line and there still are a whole bunch of them um, that have different mechanisms. Right. But 
they're just really underutilized. And I think it's largely because they either don't know about them or aren't comfortable using them. Um, patients don't come in and ask for them because they're not coming to doctors for their obesity care. So there's just, there's so, again, so much to unpack there, but I'm hoping that by, again, by the news media mm. surrounding all the celebrities taking it makes regular people like you and me and everybody else more aware of its availability to help yeah. people who really need it. And that's just what I'm hoping for. It's a great point. I mean, it's something we can certainly, we're going to just cross our fingers on it until, yeah. until, until we get yeah. a little bit further. Now, here's my other question, because you, this, this, you brought this up and I think it's an actually really interesting point, which is what does it mean? What does it mean that there is FDA approval for diabetes and not for weight loss, because to your point, a lot of these obesity medicine specialists may or may not even be using the other available medications or tools in, in their toolbox for, for helping their patients with weight management. Right. So what, so what does it even mean exactly that people who really need the medication may not be able to get it because, <laughs> because a Kardashian decided, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I, yeah, it's like a yeah. scary thought, right. but what does that mean? Does that mean that, that it would be, would it be advantageous to a patient to then to have it be approved for weight loss or not? I could see. Right. I, I, so the Wagovi like is approved for weight yeah. loss, not the Ozempic. And like I said, I right. think it's largely because the dose of the Ozempic is lower. It probably wasn't as effective in overall weight management. Right. Um, because the Wagovi at a, you know, almost two and a half times the dose right, right. was what they were studying for the effectiveness of weight management. So in that case, some was good, more was better. Yeah. Um, and because the name of the drug is basically the do associated with the dosage because yeah. it's the same active ingredient, right. um, Ozempic isn't technically approved for weight loss largely for that reason. But people need to understand these are not simple. There are a lot of side effects that come along with medications. Yes. This isn't a Tylenol, like, question. which even yeah. has its own side effects. Right. There are a lot of side effects with these that, you know, it was something like three quarters of people who took it reported gastrointestinal yeah. issues associated with it. 40 something percent were complaining of nausea. Like there was nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, constipation. There's a lot, it's, remember it's a GI right. associated drug, right? So there's a lot of GI side effects potentially. And sometimes they're unbearable and you can't take the medication. And sometimes you have them and they kind of just go away over a period of time yeah. um, and you, you acclimate. But again, that's why you have to work with a doctor. This, this, these are not simple. Um, right. Any medication is not simple. And that's why it's a really important decision between you and your doctor to try and figure out What's the best thing for you? What's the risk reward? Right. What's the risk benefit? You know, is taking this drug, are the potential side effects? Um, you know, there are people who had pancreatitis. They're mm. um, in animals. I think it's rats. They're, they're warning people, if you have any family history of thyroid cancer, to not take right. the drug. Because I guess in, in rats, it showed um, that some developed thyroid cancer. But drugs generally, they're not free in the sense that there's consequences right. for, for taking them and you have to figure out <laughs> yeah. what's the best thing for you. Um, and again, these are things that you can't just drop 
when you get to the weight that you think right. is efficacious for you. Like it, it's not simple. Right. And I think that's what people need to understand. It's not simple as far as your body. It's not simple as far as cost and, yeah. and access. And, you know, am I going to take this forever? It's an injection. Remember, this is not a pill, right? So this is an injection. So you actually have to like keep the little injection pen in your fridge Right. And you have to inject it. So that's going to eliminate a whole lot of people right there who just right. don't want any part of that. Right. Right. Um, right. Which I understand there's some people. Like, yeah. No. <laughs> right. um, and I'm sure things will continue to develop over time. And I'm sure if this works, there'll be a derivative of that that, you know, works better or more cleanly or can be in a pill or, you know, I mean, right. when something works, science advances to the next thing. So yeah. um, I'm hoping that this isn't one of those things where they do discover that something like Fen Fen back in the day that people were losing weight until we realized that there was major cardiovascular complications and people right. were dying from it and, and it dropped immediately gone. And then everybody and has to come there, like, so, I can, I'm, I'm worried that like, we'll get signs. <laughs> I mean, yeah. people talk about COVID on a podcast and it's like this, this podcast contains information <laughs> and it's like, well, like the next, the next generation of that is like, this yeah. podcast contains information about Ozempic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. It's, like, it's so funny. But it's true. I mean, it's it not really funny, has. but, but you know, there are consequences to everything, right. to every right. decision. So you and your doctor have to make a personal decision Find somebody who's very into shared decision-making, patient-centric yes. care, is not a dictator in your medical care and tells yes. you what to do and doesn't care how you feel or think. Find another doctor. Yes. Um, you know, I do think that the younger doctors are being trained much more compassionately, um, compassionately understanding how yeah. mental health plays into all of our physical health as well. Then right. when you stigmatize somebody, I mean, it's the studies are fascinating about that. yes yes and that and that when you think about if somebody is stigmatized their stress about that then causes right. a lot of other negative effects in the body that causes more health problems it's just it's a it's a total spiral and right. we just need to stop doing that we need every medical professional just to check their personal biases at the door right. and just stop it <laughs> Stop it. It's right. I mean, what do you what do you think about the idea of Okay, so when I worked in patients a little while ago now, but like let's just use this as an example. Have you ever received a consult <laughs> that was like to provide diet education on drug nutrient interaction, coumadin and vitamin K? Right. I mean, that was such a classic. It was like when you get those most often in July when the new residents were starting. Right. Like and yeah. it was just like, classic. I don't know what to do. This person's <clears throat> going to start Coumadin. So I'm going to just call the dietitian and get a nutrition consult in here ASAP. Like I'm on yeah. it. I'm a great resident. Yeah. Right? And I think about that. I think about that in this context a lot because I just think here we here we go again. Like we've got yeah. the the doctors who are just saying, let's get let's just make sure we get the patient on this. We don't set a patient up for full success by saying no. like, let's get actual nutrition experts involved so that we can have people really help and, and manage the, both the side effects alone, just the side effects. Like, I mean, I would be consulted for 
nausea vomiting, like plenty yeah. of times, also around July, mostly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Like, it's like that kind of thing. So I'm wondering what, I'm wondering what your take is on that. Although I think, I think I have a hunch, but I also am wondering why, you know, what this feels like the missing piece that could easily help to actually turn this from a flash in a pan to something that is much more sustainable for the people who really need it. And I'm, I wonder what sort of effort will be made if at all to help this happen. And where is our profession in this, Lauren? That's what's really pissing me off. That's I don't know. What? Well, half of the haze people are like, nobody should use any weight loss right. drugs. And then you've got, you know, the other people. So that is, I, that's I, something just, really just, worrying me too. I, and I want you to speak to that. So yes, okay. I will tell you, I did one, I worked one Christmas day yes. at yeah. NYU. Yeah. And I got a nutrition consult on Christmas day. And that's when you like your one dietitian yes. in the whole hospital that you have to cover, yes. right? Because you're just there for the holiday. So I was working Christmas day. I got a weight loss consult. On Christmas Day, for a person who had like twelve other medical problems, it was like CKD stage five. Yeah, and I'm like, do you think that that's appropriate? Really, (laughs) is that appropriate? Even in the slightest, is that appropriate in an inpatient setting for a person who has like multiple medical problems? And on Christmas Day to talk, to give them a weight lecture. Yeah. Right. That's the time, the birth of That's Jesus. And it's time to just stop. It was, eating. it was the most ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, um, it just goes to show on, on yeah. our like, right. um, war, you know, our yes. um, inpatient clinical war stories, but yeah. Um, so <laughs> here's the thing. Again, the studies that were done on this drug were done, including lifestyle counseling. Yes. This was not done in a vacuum. So yes. the success rates came with lifestyle counseling. Yes. When somebody um, has a decreased appetite, for example, like is supposed to happen with these drugs, you want to make sure that if they're eating less, that what they're eating is super high nutrient. Yes. Right? We want to make sure that if people are eating fewer calories, that there is there is a high nutrient density in every one of those calories. Because otherwise, they may be losing weight, but they're going to end up with nutrient deficiencies. And they're going to wind up malnourished, just as we talk about so often. Exactly, in ob- exactly. In obesity, right? Yeah, okay. Right. So, so you true. can be, you can have obesity and be malnourished. It is yes. absolutely not an oxymoron. Those things can coexist, and they yes. often do coexist, particularly in um, poorer populations, because, yes. you know, they're, they're subsisting on super high calorie, um, you know, foods that don't have a lot of nutrition density, yeah. um, which is really sad. But but the key is that we need to make sure that people are eating the kinds of foods that will not only provide them nutrition, but we're trying to, it's a double whammy, right? We mm-hmm. know that when you eat foods that are fiber rich plant foods, full of vitamins and minerals and phytochemicals and antioxidants and fiber, we know that those have health benefits to reduce cholesterol, blood sugar, blood pressure, all those things, in addition to the weight loss that you're targeting with the drug. So yeah. it's not, it's not one intervention. Right. It's more, it's more than one. Um, and that's also why a five to 10% weight loss, along with those other lifestyle factors can significantly improve all of those metabolic diseases because you're not only just counting on losing weight, but still eating garbage. 
Right. You're counting on losing weight, but eating nutritious food that is going to synergistically help with insulin resistance, you know, help with, you know, controlling cholesterol, those things that we're looking for. So doctors really should never be prescribing this in a vacuum and not also referring out for nutritional counseling. So that, because that's the way the study was done. It's it's not even, it's not even me going, you know, they really should talk to a dietitian. It was part of the intervention of lifestyle counseling. So we know that that's really important. The last thing I want to, I want to get from you and then we'll, we'll wrap up because I have a new last question to share with you, but I, but I want to get this, your take on one last component of this, which I think is also being a little bit understated, which is that in addition to what you had mentioned about the weight coming right back after the fact, right. Mm -hmm. Is something that concerns me is exactly what you mentioned about the, the patient population that typically is looking for something that is a quick fix, right. That Mm -hmm. may just be for a wedding or for a dress, where to the Met Gala or for, yeah. right? Like there may be a very specific <laughs> reason of for, yeah. for use, right? And I wonder about the long-term implications of weight cycling and what that does to us physically and psychologically. What are some of the risk factors associated with weight cycling? So in other words, what's the risk of doing this without that care team in place? So... We know that weight cycling is not healthy in the long run. Yeah. Largely because when you think about it, when people tend to weight cycle, a lot of the times, if it's like a crash diet, Mm -hmm. they're doing things where they're not only losing body fat, they're losing lean body mass because usually what they're doing isn't so helpful. Yeah. So if that's the case, they're losing lean body mass, but then when you put the weight back on, you're gaining body fat. So when when you cycle over and over again, Net, net, if you end up the same weight, you probably have a higher body fat than you did the last time because you lost some lean body mass in the process. Assuming you're not weightlifting at the same time, assuming that you're doing certain things that are not what we consider to be the most helpful way to approach weight management. Right, right. Um, You know, crash diets, there's a reason why we don't want people to lose weight fast. Right. You know, there's many reasons why we don't want people to lose weight fast. Um, many metabolic reasons, but, and that's again, a a much longer conversation, but if you're losing weight for a pure vanity reason, and you're doing something unhealthy to do it, that's the whole point of, of, and that's where I do align with haze. Yeah. Is that health at every size. Yeah. You should not be doing things that are harmful for the sole purpose of the scale going. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've always felt that way 100% as somebody who specializes in weight management. It's management. It's not lost specifically for the scale. I often, I don't even like to ask people how much they weigh because I don't want to, I don't want to fixate on it, but it ends up being something where it's an indicator of if what they're doing is helping and working because it's not like we can test cholesterol and A1C every day, you know? So right, right. since I can't see those other things in the short term from week to week or month to month, Right. Losing weight is going to give us an indicator that something possibly positive is happening, but that's assuming that they're doing things in a positive, healthful 
nutritious way that also isn't harmful to them emotionally. So there's so much that goes into this. And I think when people go to dietitians, you know, they'll say, well, I went to a dietitian. It didn't work. It didn't work. Right. It's like a therapist. you got to click with that person. Like maybe they just didn't get your vibe. Maybe they didn't get you. Maybe they just, their approach just wasn't what you needed. And that's okay. Find someone else. Like that doesn't mean we're, we're all human. We all come with our individual experiences and approaches. Nutrition is such an art as much as it is a science. Yeah. And, and I really feel like, I mean, somebody like me who had overweight and obesity and every day has to manage Mm -hmm. what I eat and how I live, because when you lose weight, when you are reduced obese, when you lose weight, your body wants it back. So right. it struggles forever. You have a metabolic adaptation where you need fewer calories yeah. than you did before. And you need oftentimes fewer calories than the same person next to you at the same height and weight and age. Right, right, right. So, you know, I'm a person who I don't even want to, I don't want to trigger anybody. So I'm not going to give numbers, but I'm a person who eats significantly less yeah. than most other people at my age, height, weight, and activity level. Because as soon as I eat a little bit more, the scale just shoots up. And I'm not only focusing on the scale, like I said, I have a lot of genetic things and family histories and other personal stuff that I I really, if I want to stay metabolically healthy, I really can't afford to just Mm. let my weight shoot up. Um, Of course, I'm a girl and I'm a dietitian and there's vanity in there. Like, of course, you have to understand where people are coming from. But, you know, you get to a level where it's like, how much, how much are you willing to do in order to you know, stay a certain weight. And, and as this perimenopause thing is going right. on, I think, I think we may see what, what ends up happening long-term, but people, you got to give yourself a break. Like people need to give themselves an emotional break and realize that you've got to be comfortable in the skin that you're in and don't judge anybody else. Hope that people don't judge you <laughs> and just, just share the love and just be like, you know, I just want peace. I'm no, I totally with you. Yeah, you know? exactly. And I think you make such a good point before. Well, hang on. I've got to pause this for a second so I can just yell at her so she can stop. Hang on. <laughs> mind blocked, so mind blocked up in the bedroom with a peanut talking. butter jar. It's the bribe. It's the bribery that we have to do. I just think, I think that's so important. First of all, I love how you said that too, because I think like, listen, we're not all just like Buddha sitting on a lotus leaf, like vanity, like our own personal, like what it means to feel good. can have a little bit of elements of that. That's okay too. Like, I think that like, it's okay to want to look good too, but it's just that if it is all focused on that, that's where it's exactly what you said. That's, that's not, the recipe for sustainability, the sustainability is something that you can do and feel better as a result of doing it. Otherwise you wouldn't want to do it in the first place because no one is going to, for the entirety of their lives, care that much about one metric, right? Like whether it's looking at yourself, whether it's your gene size, whether it's the scale, no matter what, it's just, it's hard to get on board with really caring about all of those things with that same level versus wanting to have the vitality as your perfect word before the vitality and and the, the real life in your years versus 
just yeah. tacking on years to your, your life. To your it's life. so yeah. important. Okay. I'm going to ask you our last question so that I can let you go, okay. but here we go. Okay. If there were something in the current wellness space, let's just say that you just want to go <laughs> just get the middle finger. And then if you just wanted to be like, this is so stupid. Why are there is no science here? There's not even a little bit of science does not have to do. It does not have to do with weight loss, but it, it or weight management, but it could. Okay. Or diabetes or it, it could, but wait, what's something that you think is just so stupid that you're just tired of seeing being geo targeted to you or something on Instagram, something on TikTok, something on the internet, whatever it is. There's so many, <laughs> there's so many. I just don't even, and on, and I'm old, honestly, like, you know, my kids, they just laugh at me because, you know, by the time I, I go on TikTok every now and then just because right. I feel like I have to, but I'm the right. person who gets the TikTok stuff by the time it gets to Instagram. So it's exactly. over already. Exactly. Right. Yes. A hundred percent. I just, I hate the word cleanse. I hate the yes. word cleanse. That's the number one thing that I absolutely hate. I just want to like, I just want to shatter blow something yeah. when I hear people talk about cleanses. <laughs> I'm like, this is just dumb. Yes. You have a liver, you have kidneys. If your body needs a cleanse to detoxify, yeah. then you need a hospital and you don't need the cleanse. Like you, you're probably on a ventilator. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's really the thing that makes me yes. insane is the whole cleanse thing because people just do the dumbest things. So, and they're, they're really doing it to lose weight. They're not, they are right. like, they may say, Oh no, I'm doing it to like, feel better. No. Cause you I'm feel saying. like, like yeah. hell when you're doing it. So you're really doing it because. Right. Like somebody told you that you're going to lose five pounds in five days or whatever. Right. So yeah, it's really the, the cleanse um, that kills me. And Samantha Heller wrote a book, The Only Cleanse, which basically talks ah. about how that's all nonsense. You know, yes. so. Um, I love that. I, I love that that's like the that title too. of the book. Good for her. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Lauren, where can our listeners find you and follow you and learn more from you? Because this was so amazing. And I can only imagine that people are just going to want to hear more from you. So much fun. Okay. So, um, most of my social handles are Lauren Pincus RD, uh, L A U R E N P I N C U S R D. That's on, uh, Twitter, Instagram, um, Pinterest and TikTok, although there's not much on TikTok. <laughs> um, and Facebook is Nutrition Starring You. My website is nutritionstarringyou.com, starring with two that. R's, not staring, but starring. Uh, y are you? <laughs> and um, I have two books. My awesome. my book that came out uh, last year, it just had its first uh, book, book baby birthday. Um, Yay! Is the Everything Easy Pre Diabetes Cookbook uh, okay. by Simon and Schuster. So that one is you know, 30 minutes or less, 200 recipes um, for prediabetes, but basically for anyone, because we know that a diet for prediabetes is basically a balanced, healthy right. diet. So yes. uh, it. really it's for anybody, your whole family. There's a lot of, you know, tons of things in there. And um, I also wrote the Protein Packed Breakfast Club, which oh. uh, also you can get them She's both on Amazon or wherever, it. but that one is uh, breakfast recipes with at least 20 grams of protein and 300 calories or less to help you lose weight and boost metabolism. Amazing. And uh, yeah, because breakfast of protein is key. Uh, like I was saying in the very beginning. I love it. My, I like uh, that we go full circle. Cereal boosted. <laughs> I like that we powder. go full circle. I love it. Lauren, yeah. thank you so much. 
Thanks so much for listening to The Business of Wellness. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. Remember that advice provided on this podcast is based on my application of research and practice as a registered dietitian and should not replace medical advice provided by your physician. If you like what you're listening to, please follow the show, leave a five-star rating, and share something you love from today's episode by leaving a review. This podcast only grows with your support. So if you enjoyed this episode, share it far and wide. It may be the one thing someone needs to hear to start building that roadmap today to secure a healthier, happier future. That's it for now. So until next time, cheers.